It's Divas That Care Radio. Stories, strategies, and ideas to inspire positive change. Welcome to Divas That Care, a network of women committed to making our world a better place for everyone. This is a global movement for women, by women, engaged in a collaborative effort to create a better world for future generations. To find out more about the movement, visit divasthatcare.com after the show. Right now, though, stay tuned for another jolt of inspiration. Welcome to Powering Through Life on the Divas That Care Network. I'm your host, Teresa Sims, and I'm a transformational life coach, an award-winning author, and a multiple number one best-selling co-author. Each week on Powering Through Life, my guests and I will discuss a special topic that is close to their heart. Together, we will explore the challenges they have faced in life and learn what strategies and tools they have used to power through their lives. So welcome to Powering Through Life. Hi, welcome to Powering Through Life. And I'm Teresa Sims. And I have with me today, Jennifer Forster. And Jennifer is an entrepreneur and MBA graduate, has pioneered change for women abroad, succeeded as a competitive sports person, adventured globally and solo parented two kids. Oh, congratulations. But as a serial overachiever, her success came to a, a came at a cost of broken relationships, excuse me, mm-hmm. inner conflict and burnout. Oh, mm-hmm. and that happens so many times in the lives of women, especially. Mm-hmm. And in Jennifer's book, The Power of a Peaceful Woman, 49 Ways to Drop the Armor and Diffuse the Drama, she shares her 49 practical real life lessons that gave her a deeper level of peace and happiness, open-hearted relationships, and a purpose-filled, abundant life. Ooh, I love this. Jennifer, welcome to Powering Through Life. Oh, Teresa, thank you so much for having me. I am absolutely honored and so grateful to be sharing my story with you today and your listeners. Thank you. And I'm so glad to have you here. I think uh, this is absolutely meant to be. And I know we were discussing earlier and we were having a great discussion, which should have been recorded. However, (laughs) our topic today that will be recorded is how to thrive in a hectic world without losing yourself in the process. Oh, Mm -hmm. great topic, because that happens so many times to a lot of us, doesn't it? It does. And and look, it really does lend to the conversation we had before we hit record um, <laughs> about really questioning. And this is exactly the process I took myself through, really questioning when we're in that, that, that striving, when we're in that um, being pulled into the hecticness of life, really being able to question what is it that's pulling us into that? You know, what do I mean by that? What I discovered for myself was, and I now know that we all have this going on inside of ourselves. We all have patterns and identities and conditioning that that has come from largely childhood. Now, I'm not talking tragedy or trauma. It doesn't have to be anything that's really tragic or traumatic. But as kids, we we become meaning-making machines at around five years of age. And we begin to put an association with certain things happening outside of ourselves. So, for example, in my situation, um, I, became, I achieved something significant when I was in grade one. And 
I received from my family, from my peers, from my community, from grandparents, I received a whole bunch of love and recognition for this award that I received when I was in grade one. Now, up until I received that award, I was just doing me, just doing what I loved, which was reading and writing and playing and all the things a five-year-old kid loves to do. But I've never attached a meaning to, the thing, to, to that. But winning that award had this little five-year-old go, oh, wait, what? I get love when I achieve. Now, of course, as a five-year-old, I didn't say achieve. As a five-year-old, I said win. I get love when I win. So when I win something, everybody loves me. This is great. But the other part of what, it, what that five-year-old made up was, oh, this is the fear. This is the, this is the pattern that then gets created. Because a five-year-old doesn't just think of this is great. It also thinks of, in, in fact, mostly it will think of, what if I don't do this? So, so, so the opposite part of that pattern for me that was created in that moment was, well, if I don't win, achieve, do well, succeed, because that's how it morphs over time as an adult, I won't be loved. So this literally, this pattern, and we have hundreds of patterns, you know, doing this work and, and really learning this for myself. It's, it's, it's really shown me that we, we all have millions of patterns and, and derivatives of our patterns as well. And they will show up differently in our business, in our relationships, in our uh, families. They, they show up differently. And so the process of becoming familiar with our patterns, um, you know, can be a bit, of a, a bit of a journey, you know, a bit of a um, reconnecting with ourselves. So, yeah, I became a serial overachiever that just truly got out of control, really out of control. But I didn't recognise it until I was, um, you know, in my late 40s. Is when I, when I, you know, early 50s is when I really became aware of how much my decision-making, my choices, my actions were all being driven by this subconscious pattern of needing to achieve to get love. Right. right. So and isn't that mm. something when, you know, you're right. When you, when you think about it, there's conditioning for training an animal. Sorry to use that, but is it, I can't remember if it's Skinner or Pavlov, but they did the, mm. uh, the test with, uh, I think it's Skinner, but um, you do this um, activity and you get this reward. Mm. So that's mm. pretty much what you got. You did this activity, you won something, you got an award, but you got mm -hmm. love and you just associated that with maybe, oh, that wasn't even unconditional love, was it? Because you had to do something in order to I had, that's gain right. attention, yes. And, and look, you know, for me, it was achieving, but for my older sister, and I noticed that this is, um, this shows up in the oldest child not always but sometimes my sister got love for nurturing so she was the big sister and there were two little sisters and she was the the one that nurtured so when she helped mum and when she um helped around the house and helped prepare food and helped with the cleaning she got love for that 
Now, the reality is we're not actually getting extra love for these things. But as, as five-year-olds, we begin to associate um, familiarity. So for a child, love and familiarity and safety are, are almost the same thing because it's not, you know, as a five-year-old, we don't know what love is. We don't, you know, our minds don't have the, um, the capacity to understand the, you know, the broad spectrum of what love is. But for a child, safety, familiarity is love. You know, that's what love is. So um, to be recognised, you know, my sister, she was recognised when she was being this nurturer, you know, while she was nurturing. So she went on in her adult life to build relationships on really nurturing. So what would happen is she would build a relationship, she'd be the nurturer, and then eventually in time, she would become resentful because she would feel like they were taking advantage of her. But the nurturing was her mechanism of being loved, appreciated, acknowledged. The same with me. I, mine was achieving. So when I did good, I felt that same love, sense of, sense of acknowledgement, sense of I matter. Um, and we then go on to build our lives seeking out that familiarity and seeking out, um, you know, that, that um, acknowledgement and, and, and seeking out finding our place in life. And, and we are unconsciously making choices and decisions if we're not in a state of self-awareness, if we're not cultivating our self-awareness. We begin making and building a life as a reaction to needing that familiarity and needing those acknowledgements and, um, yeah, and needing to be um, validated for our place in the world. And it can, it can show up in a million ways. As I said, everyone will have a different pattern. Everyone will have a different different identity that if is left un, 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 um, unchecked or uh, not self-observed, it will be creating a life for you that is just trying to recreate a, a conditional situation that occurred for you when you were a small child. So it's, yeah, it's, it's it's really, um, yeah, it's powerful stuff when we can begin to really dig into our patterns and, you know, why do we do what we do? Yeah, mm. exactly. And I, I'm sitting here thinking, you're right. And, you know, I think back to my youth when I was, you know, from the age of nine or 10, involved in every sport that the school offered and did it so well that, you know, I excelled at sports and I continued that throughout my younger life. And I think I did it because I was not being noticed at home. I right. couldn't, and I, well, the attention was negative, however, at home, but I wanted to do something good. I wanted mm. them to notice me for who I was and what I could do. So I right. excelled at sports where um, the sibling I was raised with did not. Mm. And I thought, I can't even get them to show up to an event, my family. Mm. How, how can I even be noticed? But I became a perfectionist in everything right. I did. Right. So, this is, and this right. is, yeah. so this, this is how it happens. So it starts off as just a small experience that we'll often have a memory of. So, you know, if we really want to, you know, if anyone's listening, they go, well, 
you know, how do I know what my patterns are? I would offer just as a simple tool, go back to one of the first really significant memories that you can remember. And if it's something where you can remember it in detail, I have another pattern that I've, that I have uncovered that, um, that came from a very significant memory when I was maybe five or six years of age that involved my brother. Now I've shared this memory with my brother and he has no recollection of it, zero recollection. I can tell you on the other hand, I can tell you the dress I was wearing. I can tell you where everybody sat in that lounge room that day. I can tell you, um, you know, how my mum was sitting holding her cup of tea. I can tell you the weather. I can tell you everything about this particular moment. My brother has no memory of it whatsoever, none. And it was a, it was, he was significantly, in my memory, involved. But from that memory, that little five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old has created, this means that. When this happens, it means that. And yes, then as we, then as we go through life, we have, um, you know, we have a part of our brain that is our reticular activating system, which is just simply a mechanism in our brain that, in our mind, that searches for evidence of that which we believe to be true. So if you have a meaning associated with something as a small child, and then as you start to go through life, your reticular activating system doesn't know fact from fiction. It, doesn't, it only knows what you believe. So if you believe this means that, for me, you know, if we talk about my overachieving, if, you know, so for my reticular activating system, it, it is now searching for evidence of when you achieve, you get love. When you achieve, you get recognition. When you achieve, you get validated. So my RAS then spends my adult years gathering evidence for me where I get to go, see, I'm right. See, I'm right. <laughs> yes. See, I'm right. Right. And, and that builds our life. That builds our external world. Our world will be a reflection of that evidence that we've gathered to support a meaning that we made as a five-year-old which could have as you and i Teresa, know anything can have a multitude of meanings but for a five-year-old it's pretty simple you know mm -hmm. it's, this means that you know it's not um you know we don't have the capacity as a child to um to reason out stuff or to look you know, outside anything that's bigger than that little sort of circle, you know, that, that looking down that little telescope. Yeah. But there's all, as, as adults, we know that any, you know, it doesn't matter how many perspectives you have, you, you know, you, your one perspective, there are 8 billion other perspectives of the same exact situation. It's almost like, you know, our perspectives are almost like our unique thumbprint. No two people share the exact same perspective. They can't because we've all had different experiences, different um, lives playing out that, that will give us that perspective. So, yeah, it's really fascinating stuff when we, became, when we can begin to look at it. And, um, yeah, for me, it, it really did uncover um, helping me to find uh, the, the, the peaceful inner me which helped me to create peaceful relationships you know what we are 
within is what we create without. So, you know, our outer world is generally a direct reflection of what's happening inside of us. So, Mm. Yeah, exactly. And I was just speaking to someone earlier today that was talking about the energy we exude, even when we're not aware of it. You know, if we just Mm. are, you know, just not even aware of what we're doing, and we're having an off day or something, the energy that we emit could be very negative and everybody's just going to keep you at arm's length because it's not safe to go near her today. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And mm. there, you know, when you're talking about um, the evidence of our thoughts and what has been done, uh, said to us in the past or how we perceive it's been said and how we perceive the event, there's a, a nice little tool that I learned. It's called putting that thought or belief on trial. Oh, I like that. So you put it in a courtroom and you have to defend it and you have to prosecute it. And then you see which one comes out on top as to whether or not the actual thought or belief is true or false. Mm. So Mm. it's a great tool. Just put it on trial. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. I love that. That's really cool. I, I, I do it slightly differently. So I ask myself, is this a universal truth? Yeah. Is this a universal truth? So, for example, oxygen, breathing, that's a universal truth for everyone, right? Gravity is a universal truth for everyone. Is this true for everyone? So when I'm testing my beliefs, I ask myself, is this just true for me or is this universally true? Because if it is just true for me, then that's my first stepping stone into understanding that it's, I've made it up somewhere, okay? I've, I've gathered some, uh, yes, it's not universal. If it's not universally true um, for everyone, then it is just a belief that I've made up. Then I can start to maybe use your courtroom example, which I love, is to really then put it on, on trial and go, okay, let's look at the, the, you know, let's prosecute and defend this belief and see what comes out. But yeah, I, I love that. That's very cool. It's a, it's a nice little tool to use. It comes from cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's, you know, we all have those thoughts, those beliefs of our young years that come up to challenge us at times, really put mm. us to the, to the test. So mm. what prompted you, Jennifer, to write your mm. book? I, I want to know about the book a little bit. So, because I know it leads yeah. to your story and yes. Yeah, it does kind of clip on to, you know, whilst the book really is an unpacking of my 49. So the, the working title of my book was originally, this is too long for a book title, but the working title was um, my 49 life lessons that it took me 50 years to learn, unlearn and relearn. And so the book is filled with these 49 life lessons. But what really um, got me to, to, to really write the book was when I really unpacked this, this particular pattern, this, this overachieving pattern. And it was in uh, 2017. So what I would do at the end of every previous year is I would sit down and write everything that I wanted to achieve the following year. This is before I had any awareness of this pattern that was literally running my life. Um, and so in 2016, October-ish, I, I sat down and I wrote all the things that I wanted to achieve in 2017. Now on this list were, um, uh, on this list was 
launch, successfully launch um, a business for a couple of entrepreneurs from a project plan to fully profitable in six months. That was the first thing. Now you, th you would think that in one year, this was a business that only existed on paper and the building it was going to be housed in wasn't even built. So I already had decided that I would make that business profitable, in open and profitable in six months. So that was the first thing. I then decided that I was also going to trek to Everest Base Camp. Of course, why not, right? Sure. Then I decided that, um, that I was going to do my MBA and complete my MBA in 12 months, which here in Australia you cannot do anymore. Which, so, so now I'm training full-time, studying full-time and running a business for, for some shareholders full-time. Then I also decided, hmm, let me just add one more thing in there. Let me also train for a 100-kilometre ultra-trail marathon, ultra marathon event. So they were the things that I had my, on my, what am I going to achieve in 2017? So what, I'd, what had happened over the years was these lists got bigger and bigger and bigger. So, of course, 2017 rocked around and true to form, I ticked every single one of those things off my list. And it was in the November that I travelled uh, to Adelaide in Australia for my graduation ceremony for my MBA. And uh, when I returned from that trip, that was the last sort of tick on the list. When I returned to Australia, uh, returned back to my home, I became really sick. I got this mystery illness. And they, I spent a night in hospital. They thought I had uh, viral meningitis. They, they couldn't figure it out. They ended up sending me home, but I was on my back. I was bedridden for about 10 days. And in those 10 days, I felt uh, what I can now tell you was depression, anxiety. I was completely, I felt so unfulfilled, so underwhelmed, um, and just so empty. And I couldn't correlate that I'm, because I'm laying there going, I've just had one of the most successful years of my life. And yet, here I am now in this situation, feeling all of these feelings. And that was literally the entry point for me to first find that pattern, discover that pattern. And then from there, a few couple months later, I resigned from that corporate job and went on this exploration of if I didn't set goals, who would I be? And so for a couple of months, I just really worked with that. If I did, and it frightened the living daylights out of me. This is how you can test a pattern. If you say to yourself, okay, this thing that I do, if I said to a nurturer, okay, you can't nurture. You, you would literally feel this in your body. So when I said to myself, okay, 2018, you can't set a single goal. I was like, oh, I had no idea who I would be without setting goals. So I took a couple of months and really just, just dropped into that. And from there, the book came through. I started to kind of work through and go, okay, a few years earlier, I had written this list. In fact, it was on the eve of my 50th birthday. I wrote these 49 life lessons out, but they were just dot points. Mm -hmm. um, but I realized that there was a lot in there that I really wanted to bring to the world. And sharing this 
unraveling in amongst those 49 life lessons um, was a really cathartic process for me. So the book, whilst um, it ended up being a published book, it really was quite a cathartic process for me to take myself through this uh, putting my life under the microscope and, if you like, uh, through the, doing the courtroom of my life and really prosecuting and defending all of these life lessons. Were they true? How did I learn them? You know, how did they show up in my life? Um, and, and what do I do? You know, how, how did I integrate them? The key part of all of the book is not about just sharing wisdom. It's not about offering um, anyone some more intellectual wisdom. It's really about he helping you integrate and embody these life lessons. Because it was only when I began to get out of that patterned living and, and operating from a patterned way in life and really began to embody all of these life, life lessons and the things that had created massive change, that was when my life really, my external world showed up differently. It, 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 and, it was, and it's quite remarkable. Often when I'm coaching people, I see them trying to change their external world. They want change in their external world. But what I've discovered, particularly through writing the book and, and, and through getting to that point that put me on the path of writing the book, um, is that our, to, to change our external world starts by going to your internal world and having a look at what are you doing subconsciously that you may not be aware that you're doing that could really change the way your external world shows up. So I start, I made, you know, I did all these things and created all these changes and integrated this wisdom. And of course, all, my life really did change and evolve. So it is a collection. It's, I often, I sometimes describe it as a bit of a, a practical memoir, but, but it's, it is very resource oriented. There is a, a practical exercise at the end of every lesson to, to help the reader, um, you know, perhaps resonate with the story I share and how can they um, create the, you know, begin the integration process of bringing this change into their life, which will change their external world and external circumstances. That's fantastic. I like the idea of the little exercise at the end because then they really can actually apply what they've just read. And yes. it's not just you or someone else talking to them or, you know, they're reading words. It's they're actually mm. flying and trying things. Mm. Which when, is the pattern breaker. For, sorry, yeah. sorry. No. Sorry but, but that's the pattern breaker. When we integrate something into practically into our life, that is the first step in disrupting a pattern of thinking, a pattern of um, unconscious behaviour, a pattern, it, it, just, it just turns, uh, it turns the spotlight on, mm -hmm. right? The book, is, um, the book is in four stages. So uh, I've broken this process down. To me, it is four stages, you know, to really um, create um, uh, embodied wisdom and embodied change. It starts with your awareness. It, it, it then takes you into acceptance looking at your area of control 
and then actualization, being able to actualize this process on a day-to-day -day basis, any one of the processes. So yeah, self-awareness though to me, self-observation, it's absolutely key. It's key to all of this. Yeah, I would totally agree with that because if, if you're not aware of what's gone on before, you know, when you were young, uh, mm. you can't make the changes or the necessary lasting change for your future. When you uh, recognize that your um, overachieving came from your young life and you did this self-work around, you know, who, what, where, when, and why, was there any forgiveness that was needed to, to happen at that point in time? Mm. I love that word, forgiveness. and. I have um, a different relationship with forgiveness these days. So for me, forgiveness is, is, a, is an ongoing process. It's, it's an everyday process. And it's, it's, for me, bearing witness to those parts of us that will exist in us always. So what, is that, what do I mean by that? So when I have sensations coming up in my body or feelings coming up in my body, and we know this, uh, you know, one of the buzzwords around this these days is things like triggers and, you know, in, you're impacted or affected. Whenever I feel that happening, and that will happen to us all, we will be triggered by the world till they shovel sand on our face. So let's be in acceptance of that. But when that happens for me now, I do this little process where I, I close my eyes, obviously not while I'm driving, but if I can, I will, you know, even just metaphorically close my eyes and I go within to the part of me. There's a version of me inside of me. There's millions of them. We all have these that is feeling something, you know, she may be feeling shame. She may be feeling self doubt. She may be feeling upset she may be feeling fear or um, scarcity or any it could be anything but my forgiveness my pr uh, process of forgiveness is to sit in silent witness to those feelings that come up inside of me and see them as versions of me they are versions of me that are wanting my awareness they're wanting my acknowledgement they want to know that they matter. So, so forgiveness for me is not a, a process of saying sorry to myself. It's a process of acceptance. It's a process of, of being in, um, you know, allowing myself to love all of those parts of me that will continue to come up in a different way on a daily basis and being the, yeah, the silent witness of acknowledgement to all of those parts of me that, um, you know, that, that, yeah, just really need my love. Right. I like that. I think that's great. It's a different way to look at the, the action, I guess. And, and I like that. Mm, it, it, what I love about it, Teresa, why it's changed for me, it changed, you know, why I've taken that forgiveness concept and, and applied it that way is because when I would just say I forgive myself, it 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 didn't it it felt like yes I, I I know that I want to forgive myself, but but it seemed it would lose 
it would seem to just kind of just not get into my body. It was just something, sure, I know intellectually. This is, and this is that intellectual transformation versus experiential transformation. So I, I always try and find a way to create an experiential experience of whatever it is. So that's, you know, so yeah, so the, the forgiveness aspect is really about me having this experience of forgiveness, you know, versus just intellectually saying, I forgive myself and I forgive everybody else, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And I like that. And when you experienced your burnout, mm. you've gone through the other side of that now. Mm. So how do you prevent that trap from ever being sprung mm. on you again? Mm. And you know what? There's a lesson in my book, and it's one of my favorites. They're all my favorites. This is one of my real favorites. And the lesson is called Human First, Enlightened Second. So I am constantly in the awareness of I will always be human first. So what does that mean? That means that my reactions, responses, interactions, perceptions, judgments are all and always going to be human first. They're going to come from the human part of me. Yeah. And rather than be in the judgment of that and be in the, the, you know, the downward pull of what that can sometimes look like, which is to me the downward spiral of burnout and stress and anxiety, I now acknowledge that. You know, when I, and I tell people all the time, I am not Zen Jen right? I do not sit on a cushion all day and chant om. I experience life. I experience, I have a human experience from the minute my eyes are open to the minute, you know, they close at night. And, and I remind myself of that. So for a, 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 the simplest example that I share is, you know, when I'm out driving, someone cuts me off. I don't, you know, put my fingers together and go, that is okay. Right? I get there in the end, my, but my first reaction is, what the hell? Didn't you see me? Blah, 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 right? Yes. But when that happens now, I, I catch it really quickly. And, and, and so I, I don't stay in that. So you were saying before about, um, you know, the energy, you know, when we're putting out that energy. So when you can catch your humanness and then bring self-awareness to that humanness, which is going to happen all the time, um, you then get to release it. You know, you get to be in the acceptance of, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. This is, this is part of the human experience. You know, I judge. I, you know, we all do. You know, we're, we all walk around judging everything. It's, it's how we survive. It's in our DNA. But being in the acceptance of we will be that first and then we get to be in the acceptance of that. We get to, which is, to me, that's enlightenment. When you're in the acceptance of who you are, where you are, and what's happening in this moment, that's ha that's that's all enlightenment is. Yeah. Um, you know, the other tool I use uh, and have done for a couple of years now, really, really religiously, is um, I'll use the word meditation, but what I do is I sit in uh, stillness and silence for an hour a day, minimum of an hour a day. Um, and what does that look like? Well, I'm not sitting on a cushion cross-legged. 
Sometimes I'm sitting on my bed with my legs crossed, but I can, I literally sit somewhere, could be under a tree, could be on a dining room chair, could be on the lounge. And I just close my eyes and I bear witness to the movie of me, right? I just sit in silence, sit in stillness. And, and what that does, how does that help? Well, it gives you a chance every day to bear witness to that, the chatter. And when you can just be in witness of that for an extended period of time, um, it begins to quieten down. And when it quietens down, you get to that, that stillness and that silence that exists in all of us, which is where the truth of who we are exists. And from there, if we can start to spend more time there, the choices and decisions we make from that space will be vastly different to the choices and we decision and decisions that we make from that, you know, that angsty sort of space. Exactly. So, so that's a, yeah, that's a tool that I do use, um, which has been profoundly uh, powerful in, in helping me. Now, of course, if you've never done that before, I wouldn't expect that, you know, that sitting for an hour listening to silence uh, would be an easy thing. But yeah, my, my offering is, is to start with a couple of minutes every day, just start with a few minutes and, and just start to notice the voice, the talking that is going on all day, every day, the talking that is inside of you. Um, Michael Singer wrote the book, The Untethered Soul. And he says in, the, in, the, in that book, it's a fabulous read. If, if anyone is listening, I highly recommend it. It's about 180 pages. It's deep, but, but such a great read. But he says, you know, you are not the voice of your mind. You are the one who hears it. So in those, that's what my meditation practice is, is me listening, just hearing, not fixing, judging, trying to react or respond, but just hearing the voice of my mind and knowing that's not me. I'm the one that's listening to it. So a couple of minutes a day, just notice, notice the voice and go, who, who's saying that? Who, wait, who's even saying that? You know, you're walking along and you go, Oh, that tree's pretty or, you know, that flower's lovely or catch yourself and go, wait, who's even thinking that? Mm-hmm. And that's how you start to become the third party of you. You get to become the third party of your thoughts because that's you. You are the third party of your thoughts. You're not your thoughts. You're the one that hears them. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes Mm -hmm. those thoughts that get stuck in there that shouldn't be there, that's a good time to come to awareness of how they were created, who said them, and where they actually belong, (laughs) which is not playing in your mind all the time. Right. Remove those. And, you know, the, the sitting in quiet is very good for a lot of different reasons. It's good for the physical body. It's good for the spiritual body. It's good for the mind, everything. And it just calms Mm. everything. And there's, Mm. there's, I've heard a lot of people that actually have um, some great inspiration during those times. And yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, I, Teresa, I just would like to add, um, something that I think is important just in and around when you start to recognize patterns. So I want to really offer that we're not trying to um, cut them away from us or, 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 you know, not have them be there. All we're doing 
is bringing awareness to them. So for example, I, I still set goals. People say to me, okay, so, so now you don't set goals anymore, Jen? I go, no, no, I do. Of course I do set goals, but I set conscious goals that are not attached to me getting any kind of love or recognition for the goal itself, which makes a big difference to the goals I actually set. I'm not just, you know, randomly doing it. And it's the same, you know, if you're a nurturer, you still can nurture. For my sister, you know, just going back to her, she has the most amazing relationship with the most amazing man now because she became aware of her nurturing. So she now consciously chooses when to nurture, right? Versus just unconsciously nurturing and then getting upset because she's not being appreciated. Yeah, and that so can be it, a terrible really, pattern. Right. But it, yeah, so it really, I'm not in any way suggesting that if you notice a pattern that you have to stop it, that would be crazy. Mm-hmm. That would be like not be, being who you are. But when you are really conscious of your pattern, you get to be really powerful and you get to really be peacefully powerful in when and how uh, you, you, you know, you do the thing that you do. So, mm. I just did, I wanted to just make sure that I didn't want any of the listeners to go away and go, oh, so I can't, you know, I, I don't, just got to not be that, that would be weird, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I just want to make sure everyone understood that I'm not suggesting that you have to stop. You oh, just no. get to consciously choose. Yeah, exactly. And thank you for doing that. That's, that's a good thing to add in there. So what would you tell, Jennifer, what would you tell somebody that was starting to feel the effects of burnout, wasn't quite sure mm. they were, it was happening to them, because we never want to admit that it's us. What would you tell them to do? Mm. Um, the first thing, hmm, it's a really good question. When people say to me, when I coach people now and they say, Jen, I don't know what to do, my offering to them is to do nothing. Okay, now that can be very triggering. But what I mean by, and, and it was for me too, when I was first coached this way, it was, it was like, what? What do you mean? I wanted to punch my mentor in the face. It was just like, what? What do you mean do nothing? How's that going to help? I need to do all this stuff. You're supposed to do something but, to get better, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but the point of the doing, the point of uh, do nothing is that if you are doing something from that reactionary state of I need to do something, then that's also your pattern at play. That's an egoic identity that is trying to have you do something so you feel okay. So when you are, if you feel that you are really in that stress state, in burnout, look, first of all, if there are, um, if there's anyone in your circle or anyone in your community that you can reach out to for support, I highly recommend that. Um, But I also would encourage you to, do nothing. I have, um, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave this w- with you guys. It's, it's just a little method that I use. So when I get, feel myself getting really stressed, really, you know, overwhelmed and I have, you know, I have a thousand things I need to get done. I use this method and I call it's just something I made up. It's called, um, the still method, S T I L L and S T I L L stands for the S is stop. So just stop, stop for a moment. You've recognized 
these feelings of anxiety and, 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 you know, needing to do something coming up. So just stop. The second is take a breath. So when we take a breath, it puts us back into our body. It takes us from here and actually drops us back into our body. Um, I'm doing these really quickly. So um, the I is once you've stopped taking a breath, go inward. Go inward. And this is what I was saying before. Really bear witness to the part of you, to the, the version of you that's experiencing the, 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 the sensation. So if you're feeling really burnt out, just take a moment, go inward and just sit with the version of you that's experiencing the burnout and just say, it's okay. It's okay. I see you. You know, I, we, we can just sit here in this for a moment. It's okay. So go inward. The L is to listen. Once you've gone inward and you've given all those parts of you a chance to be seen and acknowledged, they will quieten down. You'll feel that there's a quietening occurring in your body. That's when I encourage you to listen because there's something that wants to be said or spoken to you, but you can't hear it until you actually let those parts of you that are freaking out be seen and acknowledged first. So then listen. And the final L is then you then lead. Lead from that quiet space. You will know exactly what is right for you in that moment once you've gone through that process. So, yeah, it's, it's, I call it the still method. I like that. Considering we were talking about meditation and, and quieting, the still method is, sounds fantastic. So how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you, Jennifer? Look, I think the easiest way um, is just head straight to my website. Um, everything sort of fans out from there. You'll, you'll find my social media channels. I'm, I'm very transparent, very easy, easy to find. Um, it's just all my name, all the W's, jenniferforster.com. Um, yeah, but you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. You can... Um, find me on any of the online bookstores, just Google the book. Yeah. So I'm very transparent, very easy to find. Fantastic. And when we upload your segment to my website, we will have all of your links and the book title and everything available. So anyone can get in touch with you at any time. And please do this lady is a wealth of knowledge. I love your approach. I love Thank the you. sitting and just being who we really are meant to be. And once you discover that, it's very powerful. It truly is. Teresa, thank you. Thank you for having me. I just, yeah, I love this uh, conversation and I love this topic of conversation. And, you know, it sounds cliche when you hear the, the term, you know, it'll change your life. But this kind of work, this kind of, um, you know, self-awareness work really will not only just change your life, but it will create uh, generational change. And, and the awareness of that is really seeping into my body at the moment a lot, um, really becoming aware of, you know, when we do this work for ourselves, we're actually doing it for our families, our loved ones, the generations that will come after us. So, yeah, please, you know, really acknowledge yourselves that that are in this work and and in this self-awareness work you know really acknowledge it's it's so much more far-reaching than than just us you know it really is generational 
It is. And I think we all need to go and experience what this is all about. I know I'm going to start on mine tomorrow. I'm going to actually attempt to be still. There Beautiful. We go. It's a good lesson to teach myself, right? We look, that's, that's, that's me. I'm out there just always just, you know, I, I try and start each day with a beginner's mind. I try and start each day with, okay, I don't know anything. Mm. What can I learn if I don't know anything? What can, you know, what can I learn? What can I unlearn? What can I relearn that I've forgotten? Because we do, we forget all the time. You know, like we wake up and it's it, everything that you learned yesterday and you go, oh, that was really great. You could wake up tomorrow and it's all gone. You know, so, yes. Or like yeah. me laying in bed at night trying to think of great ideas for coaching or for videos and that. And then you wake up the next morning and it's like that never occurred. <laughs> exactly. I did that last night. That is so funny. I was went to sleep last night and it was midnight. And my mind is seriously, you know, I, as I said, I am not Zen Jen. You know, I am as human as every other person on this planet. Right. And by about 10 past midnight, I actually caught myself and went, who's even thinking these thoughts? Who's thinking this? And I was able to really bear witness to the part of me that was just, you know, the pattern, the pattern that was like having to achieve. We've got to figure it out. We've got to, you know, when you're in a, when you're in figuring out mode, it's a pattern. <laughs> the truth of who you are doesn't need to figure out anything, right? <laughs> Very true. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for sharing. I think we need to do this again and I would love to make that happen. I don't know about you, but I, I think I would love to. That's fantastic. Great. Because these are great conversations and I love these mm. topics. And you know what? Reach out to Jennifer, even for her coaching programs, if you want to. I mean, find out who she is, what more about her and what she could do to help support you in your journey. I would love that. Yeah. I would love that. And, and just immense, immense gratitude to you, Teresa, too, for, for being someone who is just doing this work for the world, you know, for yourself, but it's so for the world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And you know what? We will talk to you again next time on Powering Through Life. Thanks for joining us. Well, Divas, that brings to a close another great, inspiring interview on Powering Through Life. Thank you to my incredible guests for sharing your story with us. Divas, if you would like to connect with my guests, just go to divasthatcare.com, click on my picture at the top, that's Teresa Sims, and there you can access all of my interviews. Don't be shy, reach out if you have any questions, or simply just leave us a comment. Also, you can contact me at my website, that's teresasims.com. Thank you for listening to Powering Through Life, on the Divas That Care Network. Thanks for listening. This show was brought to you by Divas That Care. Connect with us on Facebook, on Instagram, and of course on divasthatcare.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss a thing.